Hello, and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 327. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week on the show, we look at that which is one of a kind, those things made precious because there is no other. And speaking of which, you may or may not have heard that the world lost a truly beloved and one-of-a-kind human being to cancer on Sunday, author Jay Lake. There will never be anyone even in the ballpark of a Jay Lake again on this little blue planet of ours. And I don't mean simply because of his unique genetic sequence. I mean because the guy was like nobody anyone's ever met before. He was out there, man. He was acerbic and witty. He was immensely warm and kind. He was a man in a big Hawaiian shirt, and he was one of the most twisted creative authors I've ever read. The world will miss that man in ways the world will never fully understand. And we here at the Drabblecast have decided to remember Jay this month with a little tour of the ridiculously diverse fiction he's had here on the show. You see, we've been toying for a while with the idea of starting a new podcast feed called Drabble Classics, which features reruns of old shows throughout the past eight years. There's a big old backlog of archived episodes at this point, and while we do have easy-to-download 25-episode zip file packets of every episode available in the download section at the top of our website, a reliable weekly feed featuring a new grab-bag story from the archives might be more conducive to new fans looking to just get their tentacles wet for a bit, as well as old DC vets wanting a simple stroll down memory lane. And what better place to start than the man who brought us the infamous story of scattered clown larvae washing up on the shore way back in 2009, Jay Lake himself. So, this month, to christen our new weekly podcast, Drabble Classics, we'll be featuring all stories by Jay, one of my and many others' favorite authors to read and listen to. Go to Drabblecast.org and look for the newly installed Drabble Classics feed. Relive the magic and disturbing, thoughtful, confusing, nauseating, hilarious good times from a man as colorful and perplexing as the tropical shirts he often wore. Stepping in as editor of Drabble Classics will be longtime Drabblecast fan and addict Charity Hilton, who we're excited to have on board now as staff. And she's got lots of cool stuff planned for the new cast, including themed releases, community contests, etc. But for this month, it's all about Jay. Hit up Drabblecast.org and subscribe to the new feed. Remind yourself why Jay Lake was truly a one-of-a-kind mind. For now, though, per usual, let's start things off with a 100-word story. This week's Drabble story comes from Drabblecast forum member Guns of Jacovia, and man, is this guy really on a roll lately with 100-word stories. Read more of his extensive drabbling on our discussion forums, forums.drabblecast.org, and while you're there, maybe be inspired to write your own. It's a great community of supportive folks out there, always thirsty to read new 100-word tales. This week's Drabble by Guns is called And the Rest As They Say, and it goes a little something like this. He'd heard more times than he cared to remember about the outbreak and the corrective genetic engineering and the cloning program that saved the state. 
but it was exhausting when all you ever saw was a sea of blonde hair and blue eyes, a nation of faces that may as well have been an army of mirrors. He didn't tell anyone goodbye. He just packed up some provisions and set out for New Texas. After days of walking through the wasteland with no one in sight, he reached the border. A line of identical, tan, mustachioed men glared at him. None of us are as unique as we'd like to think we truly are. At least, when you get past the fact that some of us prefer milk in our coffee and others are starving from malnutrition in Africa. As Neil deGrasse Tyson may or may not, but probably didn't once say, Friday the 13th ain't any more unique than Thursday the 12th, bitches. But, as is usually the case, in a sea of similarity, it becomes all the more apparent that which is weird and that which is precious. And that brings us to our feature story this week. We bring you Tree Fire World by Desirina Boscovich. Desirina received her bachelor's degree in creative writing from Emory University in 2005 and attended the Clarion Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Workshop in 2007. Her short fictions appeared in Clark's World, Realms of Fantasy, Fantasy Magazine, Lightspeed, and here on the Drabblecast. She's also the editor of the anthology It Came from the North, an anthology of Finnish speculative fiction. Find her online at DesirinaBoscovich.com. This story first appeared in Kaleidotrope, April 2014. The story is read to you by Scott Andrews. Scott's a short fiction writer whose stories have appeared in Anne Vandermeer's Weird Tales, On Spec, and multiple times on the fantasy podcast Podcastle. He's the editor-in-chief and publisher of the Hugo and World Fantasy Award finalist online fantasy magazine Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and he's also got great taste in beer, as I'm reminded each time I get to hang with him at conventions. You can read BCS online and in ebook form, and subscribe to their delightful podcast at BeneathCeaselessSkies.com, where you'll be hearing me read a cool story later this month as well. We did a little trade-off. Share the podcast love, you know? Really, though, if you like the Drabblecast and you like fantasy fiction, you really ought to subscribe. Scott's a huge audio nerd like myself, and he does a stellar job picking stellar stories to produce. For now, though, without further ado, we bring you Tree Fire World by Desirina Boscovich. Tree Fire World by Desirina Boscovich. An oral history recorded in the annals of sentient kind, spoken by Sven Albedo di Cantara on the eve of the ninth flying. 1. The Tree. And so it came to pass, in the years past reckoning, when I served as a scribe in the court of the king, 
that there stood the last and only tree. It is not known how this came to be the only tree. For a time there were disputing theories. It could hardly have happened by chance. As for me, I favor a hypothesis rooted in the fallacy of infinite halves. For in the strange world where we lived, it was once widely known that if you cross half a distance every day, forever and ever, you shall never reach your destination. Thus, if you consume half the riches of the world every day, forever and ever, you shall always have some riches left. This truth was a fallacy. It is not possible to cut down half a tree. Others suggested that perhaps there had never been more than one tree, that this last and only tree was in fact every tree and the only tree. The tree of knowledge, the tree of life, the giving tree, the burning bush. When Adam's son journeyed to the Garden of Eden, begging that his dying father might gain entrance one last time to eat the fruit of everlasting life, the angels barred the door, yet allowed him to take one single branch. He arrived too late and missed the chance to say goodbye, but he planted the branch in the hollow of his father's corpse where his mother had once been a rib. This branch from another world grew into a tree, and, they said, this tree was that tree, now the last and only tree. They claim that all the forests our ancestors once knew were nothing more than echoes, reflections of a single truth. And whether or not this theory is correct, I myself find it a bit far-fetched. It is true that this last and only tree now held the story of every tree before it, just as the first tree held the seeds of every tree to come. A tree is where it began, and a tree is where it will end. But as a scribe in the court of the king in the years of the last tree, my concerns were of a more pressing and material nature. The land where we stood was the most valuable piece of it known to man because it held the dearest treasure. But as every dragon knows, treasure comes with a price. The work of our land became the work of guarding the tree. Men and women, boys and girls, they were torn from their homes and families to serve the armies of the tree. Their blood soaked our borders. To their bereft parents, we had only one command— Produce more children. Give us more soldiers for the army of the tree. Wars were fought over the fate of the tree. Religions were born in the name of the tree. And all the time, a flock of crows nested in the tree, unaware of the chaos down below. The luckiest pack of crows in the world, and they couldn't care less. 2. The Fire and so it came to pass, in the last years of the last tree, when the burden of our treasure simply became too great, that we asked the world for guidance. We took a vote. Letters poured in by the billions. In the strange world where we lived, people filled the land like stars now fill the sky. The weight of the letters was the weight of a thousand felled trees. And as a scribe in the court of the king... The reading of those messages fell to me and my kind. Some suggested a velvet rope, a glass case, 
a wire cage. Others favored a recovery program. They claimed we could plant more trees. But it was widely known that increase in supply is inversely proportional to increase in demand. To increase the supply of trees would be to decrease the demand for our tree, the last and only tree, the tree that had made us the wealthiest nation on earth. The tree planters had good intentions, but they were woefully naive. I secretly wished to cut down the tree and carve its pure and glowing wood into a totem, which would be sanded down to a satin-like finish, then painted in luminous shades of gold and green. Beneath the totem would stand a sign embossed with the words, Here stood the last and only tree. But I've always tended toward the sentimental. Of course, I never put forth this suggestion. As a scribe in the court of the king, I was required to remain impartial. We read letter after letter. Letters filled all the long hours of our days and all the short hours of our nights. It was the warmest, brightest midsummer in the last days of the last tree. Our eyesight began to fail, and our fingers began to ache, and our backsides began to resemble the flattened contours of the deforested plains. Still, we read, until finally we found this. Cut it down. Start a bonfire. Strip naked. Dance in front of the flames, a bottle of champagne in one hand and a bottle of whiskey in the other. The world's a wasteland already. Might as well savor the last flickering light of the most valuable fuel on earth. We took the letter to the king. In the court of the king, we wrestled with our metaphors. We dreamt of the days of the first fire, when fire was an idea spreading as fast as the flames themselves. In those days, an enterprising human stole fire for his friends and was rewarded for his trouble with a slow, painful death. He was exiled from the garden and banned from the tree. At least they buried him with a torch in his chest. Around fires, we all become storytellers. Meanwhile, in the strange world where we lived, fire flickered across vast continents that still went dark at night. Millions of children wheezed their way toward slow, painful deaths as they breathed in the haze of cooking fires fueled by human shit. Like treasure, modern life comes with a price. Perhaps it was the price that did us in, perhaps the prophecy. Either way, we were always going to eat that fruit. We were always going to crawl down out of that tree onto the open plains. And we were always going to light that fire. 3. The World And so it came to pass, on the last night of the last tree, we lit the fire that we had been longing to light since we first crawled out of the branches of that same tree a million years before. We drank champagne to celebrate our mastery over all earthly things, and we drank whiskey to mourn our fatal mistakes, and in the end we drank wine in a longing toast to all the last nights that had come before. And with all the people of earth gathered around, at least all of those who could afford a ticket, the land we owned, 
which was now no more valuable than the lands around it, was darkened with the bodies of a billion dreaming souls. We danced and we sang, and the young among us made love. As the dark hours drifted toward dawn, the winds picked up and anointed us with the ashes of the last and only tree. The morning dawned on the dry wastelands. It was then that we saw the spaceships darkening the pale clouds of the sky before the sun. The people of Earth made way for this vast fleet, but in the end it was just one ship that landed on the open expanse of the plains, a ship bearing the messengers of sentient kind. And though I have told you that we lived on a very strange world, these messengers hailed from stranger worlds still. The oddness of their journeys and the peculiarity of their lineages was written in the eccentric arrangement of themselves. Yet we spoke the same language, the language of desire and untamable will. The messengers spoke to us. They told us that we were the recipients of an almighty honor. They told us that they had traveled the galaxy far and wide, the work of the Eighth Flying, and it had come to pass that this was the last and only world, or at least the last and only world where sentient kind might live. It was not known how this came to be the only world. For a time there were disputing theories. It could hardly have happened by chance. Speaking with great joy, they told us how they had taken a vote of all sentient kind. Their leader delivered these tidings with tears in his eyes. He spoke of stories and legends long past, from worlds that may not have been his own, of a time when people ate the fruit that was poisoned by the light of the treacherous moon, and thus they came to know that we are all made out of the same stuff, that when death comes to even a single withered leaf, soon it must come to us all. Eventually, the last tree would be consumed in the flames of the last fire of the last world, and there would be nowhere left to dance. So it was foreordained from the first moments of the first star from which all sentient things are made. My king, who had just managed to secure to his own advantage at least one-third of all the riches in the world, by the simple ploy of charging admission to view the destruction of the single most valuable asset on earth, was astonished and confounded by these developments. In confusion, he uttered a single cry, But where will we live? I, of course, already knew the answer, because I had seen it in the few moments of daylight before the ships of sentient kind filled the sky. A homeless pack of crows wheeling overhead. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. You really don't know what you've got till it's gone, huh? That last line about the crows packs a lot of punch. Hope this story sits with you for a while. Original Sin, our allegorical interaction with the Tree of Knowledge, when man ascertained that the world was not as good as we wanted it to be, even in a garden of paradise. And we were not as good as we wanted to be, 
even as we were made in God's image. As for me, I would rather be a worm in a wild apple than a son of man. But we are what we are, and we might remember not to hate any person, for all are vicious, and not be astonished by evil, for all is deserved, and not to fear death, for it is the only way to be cleansed. That's an excerpt from Robert Jeffers' poem entitled Original Sin. And on that hopeful and optimistic note, let's close this week's show out with our 100-character story winner this week. Each week, of course, we run a 100-character story writing contest from our discussion forums. That's 100 characters not counting spaces. We call them twabbles, and each week we pick a winner from our community and post it early on our Twitter feed before running it here on the show. This week's winner is Squee1313, with this one here. Deep in the Everglades, graveyard for secrets and sins, an outboard motor rumbles a funeral dirge late into the night. Excellent. Try writing a twabble yourself, post it in our forums at forums.drabblecast.org in the TwitFix section. You might be next week's winner. Follow us on Twitter at the Drabblecast. Alright folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Remember, we run off the generous support of listeners such as yourself, so if you enjoyed our story this week and you have the means, consider donating to the Drabblecast through our support options at drabblecast.org. We greatly appreciate it. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Bo Kyer. Bo is probably best described as a putrescent slime mold dissolving slowly on a misplaced circuit board. By some impossible electronic means, he handles the art director position of the Drabblecast and the picture making for this episode specifically. To any visual artists listening out there, cover duties are open to all. Reach out to him in email at bo at drabblecast.org to be involved. Veterans awaiting another appearance, feel free to tap the glass. Our program this week, of course, was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you, we were always going to eat that fruit. We were always going to light that fire. Mm-hmm.